afternoon. This is uh, Bruise and Backhands here. Uh, I am your, I am Kyle. <laughs> we're we'll, we'll going to do some other people here. Uh, starting off here, what, what's your name there, sir? I am Marty of this podcast. Um, fellow tennis enthusiast with Kyle. And I'm Pat here uh, down in North Carolina here for this podcast. Um, and yeah, been a tennis, tennis enthusiast here for a couple decades. Happy to be here. All right. So I'm sure everybody was maybe listening to the last podcast here. If not, you need to tune in, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty quickly. Uh, we stopped at the Rafa versus Verdasco match at the uh, Australian Open. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, their boys, I think it was what, 16, 17 is when it was, you know, first round matchup. 2016 is when that match was. First round matchup. That's where we last left off. You know, we'll kick things off today. Uh, I'm sure everybody heard of the, the terrible and, and, and horrible news of uh, Nick Kyrgios pulling out of the Aussie Open. Uh, you know, knee, I think it was knee problems, if I'm not mistaken there, guys. I believe so, yeah. So yeah. That's, a, that's a bummer, you know, seeing the, the, the Aussie and the, the fan favorite, you know, out there to try to pull out of something that, that he – has worked so hard and won the doubles of it last year. You know, it just didn't work out this year. Um, so, you know, tuning in to the to the Netflix series as well. That was the first episode. It is all about Nick Kyrgios and his his debacle and what he goes through and how he deals with stuff. You know, it's kind of interesting to see his side of things of you know him with uh, his you know back home with his life. You know, as a kid, um, and then you know kind of him growing up to you know be who he is as of today. Uh, his first big matchup was 2014 Wimbledon. I think it's about think right. At, yeah, at 19. Yeah. 2014 Wimbledon when he upset Rafa. Um, you know, they were talking how that was just just a huge milestone of, of a 19-year-old knocking off the number one in the world. And from then he went to, from someone no one even knew who the hell he was to now he's a prime, you know, prime time. And he said people are standing outside my door. Of his house, so Marty, yeah. what do you what do you think about all this? I think it's definitely you know a you know a story you've seen before. You know, one guy kind of gets a big win and his life sort you know changes immediately. You think of uh, Pete Sampras at the U.S. Open, and I think it was '89 he beat Mats Wielander five sets and that's where he like discovered his big serve and overnight he was just kind of you know not a no name but certainly not who he turned out to be for, through the rest of his career that sort of match kind of kick-started his career uh then you think of Federer against Sampras fourth round 2001 Wimbledon uh same kind of story there he wasn't a no name but he definitely wasn't the Federer that we all came to you know know and love um so I think that was another story of Kyrgios. With that being said, obviously he hasn't had the careers that Sampras and Federer had. Um, and I think that he definitely had a different upbringing than those guys. Um, he, I've just come to the realization, I think it's just as simple as this, in my opinion, is Kyrgios just marches to the beat of his own drum. I, you can't really say it any better than that. He's just a different dude and he kind of just goes things all about his own way, which is completely his opinion, his right to do. Um, with that being said, you kind of touched on it, Kyle. Um, he definitely doesn't 
you know, do things that like everybody else does. You know, you think of a Djokovic who stretches hours a day and is a crazy fitness fanatic. Same with Rafa. Kyrgios doesn't do that. And that could have been the reason why, you know, maybe he's having these injuries kind of recurring. Um, he's only 27 and there's not a ton of 27s out there that are already having knee issues. I mean, you think of Rafa had knee issues, but he kind of fought through it and he's kind of passed it at least for this point. But it's interesting, um, that he's kind of running into this now. And it was nice with that first episode kind of touching on his backstory a little bit. But I'd be kind of curious too, with like, I'd, I'd like to know both of your guys' takes to where. It's definitely like a like you alluded to earlier, Kyle. Like it's it's definitely like a blow to the Aussie Open that he's not playing, and it's almost kind of one of those where like the Aussie Open in general doesn't have too many Australians that are really going to threaten for the title this year. They always seem to have like maybe one person on the men or women's side, and I think with him being injured, like ever since he made that final at Wimbledon last year, um, he hadn't really made much noise on the tour since then. I, I mean, it's kind of a bummer that he didn't play the tournament, obviously, but I didn't I didn't really give him much of a chance to be to be really much of a threat during this tournament. Um, I don't know how much of that is touched on in the in the Netflix series, but I just be kind of curious to see like me personally. I don't think he'd be he, he'd maybe win a couple rounds and and entertain, but um, I didn't see him making much noise outside of that. I mean, it's his home. I mean, it's his home turf. So it's I feel that it's it's a way of him showing and it's sometimes i mean he, he can surprise people that's that's just the crazy part that nobody realizes that he can surprise people and he'll surprise himself about how he's playing and how he's doing and he's like i have no idea what's wh- what just happened and like you can tell he's, as he walks off the court you know he's like i don't know how i won but i won but i'll take it and it's like that mentality I, i've never seen anybody walk off the court and be like you know how did i just win that match I don't know, maybe pure talent and, and, you know, mental toughness that you just stuck it out and played and, and won, you know, it has nothing to do with anything else. You just physically want to not play the other person. So it's just his mental side. is just so wild. So I, I mean, I think he was, I think he could easily win a couple rounds, maybe go further. It's just hard to really tell. I'm thinking after, after watching the episode, they mainly just go through the 22 Aussie Open edition, um, how he either won a round and then lost. I forget how many rounds uh, he won last year. For, I think he only won one because he got, he got beat by Medvedev in the second round. That's right. And so there was kind of like this pitfall in the episode, and then it kind of cycles back up with him and Kokonakis' run to the title. And so I think from an Aussie's perspective, if I was a tennis fan, but from Australia, I would definitely be bummed, you know, that your number one hopeful is out of the tournament after having the, you know, probably his best showing on the tour last year with getting to a slam final, winning a doubles major. Um, I think it would just be, Pat, one of your favorite tennis quotes ever, a gut check and a half to say the least. Um <laughs> Yes, but it would be <laughs> if anybody doesn't know what that's from. It's from the Agassi signature series when he's talking about the French Open in '99. But with that being said, I think it definitely would be tough. Would I see him winning the title? Probably not, if it was to be my guess. Um, so just all around, it kind of put a damper on it, at least for me. But 
I think it'll still be a really good tournament. I think it's always a lot of pressure for you to be, you know, play at your home stadium and, and in front of your home crowd, you know, if there's always that added pressure, like more pressure added on because it's like, I got to win in front of my home team, you know, of where I'm from. And I feel like that's just, it's, it's so much pressure added on to the person. I mean, it's, I mean, hell, when, the last time an American won a major was what? Andy Roddick back in 2002 U.S. Open? Three. Three. Okay, I was short. But that's <laughs> what I'm saying. It's like, you know, and he, won, and he just happened to win the U.S. Open, you know, our home turf, but we haven't won that since, since then. So it's just, it's one of those things that's that always added pressure that everybody wants it, but nobody can get to that point because there's that added mentality of pressure that they have to win on their home turf. Ash Barty did it last year. Who? Ash Barty did it last year. She's a a freak of nature. Mm -hmm. It was interesting, too, how they kind of tied in. Roddick was one of the commentators in the first episode of the documentary, so it was nice to kind of get his take, you know, on Curios' situation. You know, I would say Roddick being a a semi-relatable player to him. Uh, you know, big serve, kind of volatile, very passionate when he needs to be. Um, and it, there was a couple of quotes Roddick said talking about Kyrgios, um, part of it being he only plays 10 or 11 weeks a year. He kind of, he called him a hobbit of the game because he only plays 10 or 11 weeks of the year. Um so it was interesting. And like how you said, Kyle, you know, the one major wonder of Roddick, you know, he could have had two or three Wimbledons if it wasn't for Federer, but he only ended up with one slam. I think just getting over that hurdle of getting that first major, I could see Kyrgios going on a run of kind of maybe getting a couple Wimbledons, especially with his serve and his game, maybe a U.S. Open, but mentally... He's just wild and all over the place. So it'll be interesting to kind of see how he takes this going forward. Well, it's one of those two where, like, a lot of people will, like, criticize what Kyrgios is doing. And, I mean, there's definitely some stuff, too, that he's done that's, like, unethical. But at the same time, like, I guess, like, just to kind of counter, like, Roddick's thing is, like, like, the guy can do whatever he wants. Like, if he only wants to play, like, you know, 10, 12 weeks a year, like, I mean, that's, that's really just, that's really up to him, you know? So I just think that at the same time, like, I I don't, I don't care too much about him, like not putting in the work or not, um, not playing as much as other tour players, because like, ultimately that's, that's his decision. Like he's a grown man. If that's what he wants to do and not like fulfill like his talent, like that's up to him. The thing that annoys me is when he just says like derogatory things on court, um, you know, particularly at Walrinka, if you guys remember back in, I don't know yeah. if they played that or not in Cincinnati or no, it was in they didn't. the Canadian Toronto. Masters. Yeah, yeah. Like that, like that, obviously that, that stuff pisses me off. Um, and, and just stuff where he's just blatantly disrespectful. Um, but, I, but, yeah, the but, kinda, was, but the way he kind of, but the way he kind of manages when he just had, like, he had no sense of anything. He well, didn't yeah, care but what same, he said. But, but you knew that, but I, I don't care if you're 12. Like, I mean, you know that that's the wrong thing to say on a court. I, I just think it's just, I, I, and I personally don't care, like him managing his schedule, 
or not having a coach or not putting in work in the gym. Like he he's he's a professional athlete. Like he 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 knows what he's doing. But I just think it's just the a lot of the off color stuff is what I have a problem with. So but but at the same time, I mean he's entertained to play and I, I definitely am bummed or entertained to watch. Probably to play against him is nauseating. But but um <laughs> but I'd say but it, it's definitely a bummer that he's not gonna be playing at the Aussie this year. Well, like you said, that's we'll 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 move on to that. You know, Nick Curios, I'm sure we'll see more of him during this this season. We've got a lot of tennis. You know, we just started with the first big major tournament of the year, so I'm sure he'll come back probably near the end. I'm sure. You know, I I have I have a feeling he'll he'll be back. Um, so let's let's kind of talk. You know, today of of some tennis that's been going on here lately. Of yesterday's matches started of the Australian Open. I'm sure you know we've seen the first couple. Couple of upsets, you know, in the in the women's side, we've got Amanda Ananisimova loses in the first round. Uh, we've got the men's side so far, Chorich, uh, who played uh, had an amazing run in the summer of 2022, just playing outstanding tennis. Uh, he made it to what the finals of Western and Southern. He won it. He won oh, it. so he won it. He beat yeah, he was out, playing. Uh, he beat Sitsabra. Okay, the then he played. Well, at at, at at U.S. and then loses in the first round of of the next year at, at Australian Open. So it's <laughs> it's kind of like a, it's like what what went wrong from from the summer to to now. Yeah, he just he's just one of those guys where it's like I remember when he it was a tune up to Wimbledon um, on grass, Ow. obviously, and he I think it was Holly and he beat Federer in the final, and you're just like. And like it was the first time Roger ever lost, I think, ever since he won it. But he had like a ridiculous streak, and George comes in and beat him, beats him, and you're like, whoa! Like that just that just kind of blew me away. Um, and he obviously like just like has a ta- I mean, he he almost beat Sitsipas at the, at the United Cup a couple weeks ago, um, you know, and then he beat him at, at Cincinnati last year. Like the guy, he just has he's had a couple really random, like really really good results, but he just obviously isn't playing consistent enough to be really a legitimate threat. So um, I think me personally, like he, he seems like a workhorse, but like, I think his game is pretty predictable. Um, and his forehand to me is just so mechanical. I just, me as, as a technician, it, I cringe every time I see that guy hit a forehand. Like it just, yeah. you know, it looks like he needs a little bit more grease in the wheel, you know, when he's hitting his yeah. forehand. <laughs> so, but <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it's definitely one of those. But I, I definitely did not pick him to lose that first round. That's for sure. I mean, I don't think I've ever heard of this guy, Laheka. La yeah, exactly. Like, like just like. Let's see who, who is, who is he? I've, like I said, I've never heard of him. Is he young, old, like? Well, he's from. He's a Czech. He's from the Czech Republic. And this guy, he plays Eubanks, a wild card, in the next round. So he's got a very good chance to get into the third round. It's probably going to be one of his best paydays of his career. Yeah. Dude, that guy's that might, that guy's going to be fucking pumped. Because I think, what, the first round, I think it's, what, 100 grand? I know it used to be 50. I think it's yeah. 100. From what they said on the on the documentary series, if you win the first round, you're, you get 100 grand. Well, I hope it's more because a lot of these guys, I mean, they just struggle to make a living. Plus, with inflation now, too, like it's, you know, they should adjust it to the current financial climate. 
So, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I mean, guys who's really never won a big match gets a hundred grand out of out of his pocket right off, right off the bat. He's like, "This is great." Pays my whole season. Whole season. Yeah, <laughs> I see Chorich as more of a. I wouldn't quite put him on like the. I put him in there with like a Ferrer. Like he has some good results against top players. Like you said, Pat, he beat Federer. He's taken, you know, sets off of the top five guys. Um, I don't think he'll ever win a major. I think his best result, he might get deep into a tournament, uh, probably a hardcore tournament. I don't see him going deep at like a French or Wimbledon. Um, But at the same time, he's, I don't know if you can call any pro streaky, but the equivalent of what streaky would be in the pros, I think George kind of fits that bill. Um, it, you know, the stars kind of have to align for him to get a good result and really go deep in a tournament. Um, and he's not exactly one of the youngest guys out there anymore. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much longer he plays. I think he's pushing 30, maybe his late twenties. Um, and I think he's had a few injuries along the way, so he's kind of had to overcome some stuff. Um, so honestly, the, the first round result loss, it's a surprise. Yeah, but it's, I think it just comes with the territory with Chorich, unfortunately. Um, so it'll be interesting. I see Chorich more of like a Tomas Berdik, you know, kind of, uh, Plays well when he needs to, but he's very depictable on what he's going to do and how, and how he's going to do it. Like, his game plan is always the same, never changes for anybody else. So he just goes in there, plays his rhythm, and plays his game, which is fine. But when you go in there and just play that and that's it, and you're not switching up, you're not going to go anywhere. You're not going to win any big tournaments or anything huge. You're going to have to switch up to what and play what the other guy's, other guy's weakness is. You know, and, you're, and you just have to figure that out and – and hit that point. And I I agree with both of you as far as the comparison with the, both those players for most of the year. I will say a big difference though between Chorich and like Ferrer and Burdich though is Chorich never has cracked the top five, and he doesn't even comp- his resume doesn't even compare to Ferrer and uh, Burdich's when it comes to the majors. Not even close. Yeah. Like Ferrer and Burdich both have reached major finals. They beat. They both have reached a plethora of semis. Like it's one of. But I definitely agree with you as far as like. You know, they're both streaky, and, and, and it's kind of like you know what to expect from them. Like, they're one-dimensional. But mm-hmm. Ferrer and Burdich, they, they did have a little bit more of a gear. It's where they were they were, they were, were a somewhat of a threat at majors. Schwartz still has yet to really prove that he's been a threat at a major. Yeah. I don't think he's even sniffed a, a quarter yet. Maybe one, but. So, I hope Schwartz is listening, by the way. <laughs> I think he's one of our audience. I got him on. Yeah, yeah but I, say, I think I have him. On, I have him on speed dial, so we're good to go. <laughs> Is he in the chat right now? <laughs> exactly. That's what all these middle fingers are in the chat. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So I'm sure everybody saw. You know the lovely. You know we talked about as well in the last uh, last episode, Draper and and the Rafa match. You know, honestly, I mean, I didn't think it was going to be a four setter. I thought Rafa may may be able to run it in three, but. I mean, from what it looked like, it seemed Draper actually gave Rafa a little bit of a of a hassle and a problem, you know, from last night's match. I mean, he beat him what 
seven five two six six four six one. So the last set was a little bit pretty routine, but other than that, I mean, it was pretty back and forth. It seems like you know he he struggled. Well, it's one of those two where they like um, a lot of the media has kind of built up Draper as like kind of the next British guy since Murray. You know, a couple of commentators have heard say, yeah, this guy has like top 10 potential. Um, and I think the lefty to lefty matchup is something that definitely influenced it. Um, Draper beat Felix Auger, I believe, at the Open, U.S. Open last year. Really? So he's already had it. Yeah, he he was the guy. It was I think it was it was I think it was around the same time early round. It might have been the first round, but it was a couple rounds in. He beat Felix. So he's beaten a top five player, you know, on a bit on the biggest stage. And. Honestly, I watched the first two sets. I was so tired, though, after the, the second set, I I, uh, I went to bed. But after that second set, the way he w- won it, when I woke up this morning, I was just like, did Wofford win that match? Like, I had to check the score. And, I mean, it was – seriously, it was – I think he, he you know, he kind of lived up to the hype a little bit. And I'm sure after that second set, he had Rafa's attention. So, um, I think ultimately, I mean, me personally, I'm glad Rafa won. I think it's better for the tournament. But – uh, but overall, I mean, he, he's got a big serve that lefty to lefty game. He's got some moxie about him. Um, so I think overall it was a pretty good match, but after that second set, I was like, this is, this is a dog fight <laughs> for sure. So. Absolutely. Um, I liked watching Draper. Um, <laughs> I love it. Using <laughs> the raise my hand feature of the chat. Um, I liked watching Draper. You can kind of tell where he on some aspects he mimics Rafa a little bit. He was kind of doing the the follow through over the head for his forehand that I could kind of notice. I think Rafa definitely got a lot more RPMs on his forehand and had the ball drop a little deeper. So I think over the course of the match that was kind of one of the differences that made him pull away a little bit. Um, I still always like even when Federer was playing, I always loved to see Federer win in straight sets. But I always like when a top player has to be out there longer than they'd like to be. Uh, it kind of makes them get to that next gear uh, to show that it's there for the tournament, um, where maybe you lose a set or maybe even it goes five sets. And they have to show that, hey, I need to kind of get to the next gear maybe for this tournament in order to make a deep run instead of it just being a routine, you know, I'm going to win every match in straight sets, which I know a select few have done. And it was fun to watch when Roger did it at the Aussie in 07 or um, Djokovic, I'm sure has done it in multiple majors. Roth has done it in multiple majors. Um, but I like seeing when top players are pushed a little bit, especially by younger guys, because it shows the longevity of the game going forward. You know, I never thought the day would come. As any viewer might be able to tell, Federer's my favorite player. Um, but seeing that, you know, the game is going to go on once these guys retire, and it could be in good hands. It might take a little bit for this transition period, but I like seeing when they're pushed, and it's – it's fun to watch because you see him get fired up early on. You don't have to wait for the quarters to see Rafa do his jumping fist pumps or Djokovic as much as I'm, he's not my favorite player. Uh, watching him get fired up uh, after a ridiculous shot when he needs to is fun to watch. So it's, it's interesting for sure. 
So probably, so kind of piggybacking off that there. So would you say that Draper giving Rafa a problem is going to cause it to where he may not be able to, he's going to have a problem winning the whole thing? I'm actually glad you asked that because I personally think that this was good for Rafa because he literally came into this Aussie losing, what, six of his last seven matches. He didn't win one match at the United Cup. Um, and I think he's a guy, too, that he needs to, like, he needs matches. He needs to play his way into the tournament. So I honestly think it's more beneficial, given his form coming in, that he's, you know, quote-unquote vulnerable, that he had he had a little bit of a, of a challenge in this match. I, I think that's better for him going forward because he's going – I mean, he – I think arguably he has the toughest draw. Like if he were to win this uh, major, it would be phenomenal. Like I, he, he's got a brutal road um, the rest of the way. Um, McDonald, I, mean, I guess besides McDonald, but he could potentially play, I think Nishioka, Tiafo, um, mm. I think Medvedev, uh, and then Sitsipas, and then probably Djokovic in the final. I mean, that is a brutal draw. So, <laughs> so, so. Yeah, exactly. And he's the one seed. He was almost better if Alcaraz would have stayed in and he was the two seed because um, Rude has got a much better route. But um, uh, I think on paper, but yes, I think personally that this is this is good for Rafa because I think he needs to get he needs to get used. Not that he needs to get used to grinding, but I think like in the present moment in Melbourne, I mean, he he's going to have a rough road. I mean, I, I, I mean, you could say, too, that for me, like with McDonald, he needs to take care of business. Like, you know, take care of the guy two, two, and two and call it a day. But I think initially just with his confidence, but also just getting a little bit of a test, I think that this was, this was, you know, I'd say best case scenario for him. Absolutely. I mean, looking at the draw, I mean, he's got Mackenzie McDonald, you know, over there, a, a UCLA native, uh, you know, coming into the, to the series. He uh, is not bad, solid. You know, then of course, you know, Nishioka is coming up, you know, up and coming. Then you've got a Francis Tiafo and Karen Hatchinoff. You know, I mean, just imagine if he has to, if Roth has to play one of those two. You know, I think Tiafo I, I think I think Rafa can beat Tiafo quicker than if he was to play Hatchinoff because Hatchinoff's game's very powerful and very strong. It's almost like Del Delpo like Delpo back in the day. You know, that very strong, powerful forehand. You know, his backhand's not very, not strong at all. It's his forehand that dominates everything, and that's what causes Rafa issues. But Tiafo's was, got that outfit, though. That outfit. <laughs> we, you could spend an entire podcast talking that, about that. Next level. Wow. Um, I would love to see a rematch of Rafa and Tiafo, especially after the U.S. Open. I think if... Um, if Rafa saw that and that match actually happened, that would be, if both players are in good form, I think it would be a dogfight because obviously Tiafo is very passionate every match he plays um, and not just his outfit. But then Rafa wanting to get some revenge on him from the U.S. Open, that would be that would be one of the highlight matches for me if that happened this year. So it would be interesting to see. So it'd, be, it'd be a good of- one for sure. Speaking on American tennis here, you know, we've kind of got on the topic of that. Let's, uh, let's, let's see the, let's talk about the top, you know, the top men right now is uh, Taylor Fritz. Top 10. I don't think we've, American tennis has seen a top 10 player since John Isner. And he was what? Eighth, I think. Same thing. 
as Fritz. Yeah, I think so. And mm-hmm. and you know, watching his game was almost like watching paint dry. You know, <laughs> I, don't know about, yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think paint may have been a little bit more inter- interesting and and you know fun to watch than than his matches. But Fritz seems to be playing pretty solid. He seems to be confident. You know, he's coming in with a lot of firepower. You know, from how he played last year. He made it. Uh, what did he play? What did he make it to at the U.S. Open? The U.S. Open. He actually lost first round. He lost. He lost to Tracy Austin's son. Um, he had a pretty oh, brutal. Brandon Holt. Yeah, he had that really good result at Wimbledon, where he he kind of blew it against Rafa a little bit, where he could have made a a semi, That's but it. then he yeah, then he had that he had that really rough loss to Brandon Holt at the at the Open. Mm-hmm. So he's currently underway right now uh, against uh, Bashevili. And that's kind of a tough first rounder because he hits the crap out of the ball. Yeah. Um, like that, that dude is just like, he, he, he literally just hits the fuzz off the ball. Um, that's Bashevili's actually up a break now. He just broke him. Um, so granted, it's only three games in, but. Um, <laughs> But I mean, I mean, I'm with you, Kyle. Like Fritz, I, I'm I'm hoping he he had a really strong United Cup. He obviously, I mean, he won Indian Wells last year. You know, he played at the World Tour Finals. Like he's he's legit for sure. So I I yeah, I'm I'm hoping I'm I'm hoping he can make a deep run because it's 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 it'd be nice to see an American male <laughs> like makes. I know we've had a couple random semis here and there from Query and Isner, but. You never really felt like they were going to win the tournament, so it'd be nice if Fritz was, you know, he continues to ascend like he has the last, you know, 12 months. Yeah. I think, too, kind of piggybacking off what you were saying, Pat, Bashevili, um, especially with how hard he hits the ball, sometimes Fritz can kind of catch it late on his forehand because he has such an kind of interesting take back that takes more time than I think necessary. I think his backhand is solid. Uh, it's pretty compact. But if I were Bacchavili, uh kind of playing my cards, I would almost attack his forehand if I had an offensive ball to go after because I feel like that would draw the error a little bit more. I'm not watching the match right now, but I'm imagining that could be a potential strategy he's pulling. Um, so we'll see. And he, kind of, he Fritz can kind of get hot-headed as well. Uh, if it, things don't go his way, so he could kind of go off the rails. I still anticipate him getting through the first round, but definitely being pushed. It sounds like he is already. And Marty, that's a good point, too, because I, when I think about it, too, what you brought up, when you got Fritz and you got Tiafo and Coco Goff, I don't know what it is, but their forehands, I mean, they're very vulnerable. Like, all three of them have got, they've got big takebacks or, like, unconventional technique where they could be it, it, it can, they can be vulnerable and they can break down. And it's just kind of like, you know, it's just one of those, especially in the men's game too. Like you gotta, you gotta have a solid forehand, like big serve, big forehand to be mm-hmm. legit. So it's just like, you know, you hope that it, it doesn't, it doesn't plague them in, in like latter stages of big tournaments. But um, those three in particular, and they all happen to be Americans where like the forehand is a question mark. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, we've got our backhands down down pat, which doesn't make any sense. Yeah, the backhands. Our backhands never break down. Yeah, backhands never break down. They're always solid. Volleys are a little little sketchy here and there on certain things. 
you know, but yeah, I agree. The the forehands, but you look at all the other top players, it's it's wild how none none of their game breaks down. It's it is solid to the core nonstop. I mean, you look at Roger, Rafa, Novak, Medvedev, none of that none of their game breaks down. Even though Medvedev's forehand is the ugliest thing I've ever seen, and his backhand is not very pretty either. <laughs> but it doesn't break down. It's the same thing over and over. So yeah. you wonder what what caused that, you know, the American tennis to have that issue where where our strokes break down where everybody else's doesn't. Yeah, it's almost like they need to go back to like uh, like Agassi, where it's just like his strokes were just clinical. Like he was to me like the last that I can remember the last American male that it just like very little can go wrong with those strokes. Mm-hmm. You know, it just Roddick always seemed to kind of tweak or change something, you know, like Blake was always hot and cold, um, you know, query and Isner. I mean, they just, their games weren't meant to hit a lot of balls. So, um, so yeah, they, they, it's just like, yeah, watch, watch a few tapes of Andre. <laughs> That's what I would do. So, <laughs> Maybe add a little short, bit more spin to the ball, but um, technique-wise. short, concise backhand, you know, yeah. forehand. It's, I mean, there's, I, they've showed, like, an old video now. I've seen it on, on, in, on social media of, like, him hitting a ball now, and his, his strokes have never changed. Like, they're so mm-hmm. short, so compact. I'm like, how do you even hit the ball that hard? Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. letting the but racket I, do the work. I guess, too, with American tennis, if, even if you go back – you know, beyond this generation or even Roddick's kind of in-between generation, you know, as he kind of sat between the Agassiz Sampras and the now generation. Sampras had an interesting take back on his forehand. He led with his elbow. Um, You know, Jim Courier had some of the ugliest strokes tennis has ever seen, but he makes it work. Um, So a lot of these players on the American side have just been, you know, using what they've kind of been given and what feels comfortable and just mastering it. Uh, There's been some that have kind of taken, you know, European approach and really stripped things down and built them up from there. So it's just interesting to see from player to player how that develops. Yep. hundred percent. I agree. It's wild. So we'll see how, how Taylor Fritz does in the, in this tournament here. Uh, so we'll kind of hit on a, on a, on a crazy one here. You know, I'm sure everybody's kind of, you know, Novak and we'll kind of, you know, his amazing first Australian open open in two years, uh, you know, due to the COVID vaccine issue, along with his visa being restricted last, you know, last year's, uh, couldn't defend his title. Uh, I know it definitely probably put a damper on stuff, but I mean, the guy is, is a freak of nature. You know, I feel like that's only going to fuel his, his, his power and his drive to, push past you know what happened to say hey you know here this is what i think of your government and go on and win the tournament honestly you know it's just who he is as a person um i don't think he'll have any problem i think he'll make it pretty far and i think he'll end pretty pretty solid in most of the ter- i mean his his draw is not very i mean his draw is pretty weak he's a what four seed i think yeah he's the four seed four so he'll have to play uh, I think what Sitsipas, I think as well. He'll have to play Casper Ruud, and I think he'll walk over Casper Ruud in no time. Yeah, yeah he's. Go ahead, he's Marty. A, I was just gonna say Djokovic. You know, Casper Ruud has a game a lot like Djokovic, but I would say Djokovic is easily 
three or four rungs above where Root is. Uh, just not by the number, not just by the number of majors, but experience um, being in crucial situations. I know Rude made it to a slam final, uh, which is very impressive. But Djokovic has won 20 plus at this point. He's been in even more from let alone finals he's been in and ones that he hasn't won. Um, so that would be one where. I'm not going to say Rude is the poor man's Djokovic because Rude's a really good player. He's just not at that level yet. And I think that might be his toughest match of the draw until he meets Rafa, which is insane. Yeah, I think to me, too, like the fact that, you know, Djokovic, like post-U.S., obviously, he had a really strong fall, um, winning, what, a couple 250s, and then he won the World Tour Finals. Um, he got to the final of that Paris indoor. He won, was it Adelaide a week or two ago? He really should have lost probably with um, Sebi having that match point. But I think Djokovic seems to thrive when he's down match point. I, I, I don't know why. It's crazy. But, I mean, winning that title, um, I mean, he's just, yeah, and he's just, he's just a man on a mission. Like, I just think that it's, you know, like to your, all your guys' point too, the fact that he, he object, I think on paper has the easiest draw to the title. Um, I really think it's his tournament to lose. Like I put, I would take him over the field. I am taking him over the field. Um, I just, I would love to have Rafa finish with the most majors since our boy Roger is uh, unfortunately unable to continue. But um, yeah. I think at the end of the day, in a couple of weeks, Djokovic is going to tie Rafa at 22. I think even if, even if Nadal, gets to the final, which I think would be, given his draw and his form, an incredible result. I think Djokovic would destroy him like he did, what was it, three years ago, where he beat oh. Rafa in the Aussie fight. It was like 2-2-2. Two, two, and two. I literally think it would be that result. Um, mm -hmm. Like I heard, I think it was Jimmy Arias, when they were doing predictions, he was like, yeah, if Rafa, he's like, I'm picking Djokovic, but if Rafa gets to the final, I'm picking Rafa. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> like Djokovic owns Aussie, like Rafa owns the French, you know, and yeah. it's just, and, and not even just that, just on a hard court. I mean, it just, you, Djokovic is going to beat Rafa or mm -hmm. really most players like eight, nine times out of 10. I, I just, especially in Aussie. So I just, yeah, just, I mean, tonight he plays Carbanius Bania. I've never even heard of the guy. Um, you know, I wish him all the best, but you know, <laughs> but I just, you know, I, I just think he's he, he's going to get the 22, in my opinion, in a couple weeks. Yeah, it's going to be hard to bet against him. Um, I love the passion that Rafa brings to the court. And as much as you want to see a match like the 22, 12 final where they had the longest slam final yeah. history i don't know if i don't think Djokovic would let it get that to that point if they made it to the final um and definitely Djokovic. i think he's looking better than rafa at this point so i'm in agreement there the only reason is Federer's not in the field that i'm yeah. picking Djokovic. All our Federer fans here. <laughs> R.I.P. R.I.P. That's dead. He's just retired. That's, uh, that's, that's pretty close. I'd take it. So Let's are there any what... more? 
bullish. Let's see what, what Novak the favorite. Let's see how big Novak the, the favorite is. He's 8,000. Yeah. He has the best odds by far. And he really should. I think there's a, this, this one could be interesting just by looking at like the matchup. Isner against uh, Manorino. I could see Manorino winning that match because he's so tricky. And I just, honestly, I couldn't tell you last time I watched Isner play, I have no idea what kind of form he's in, like, at all. Um, yeah. He played so, Sebastian Corda at the Western and Southern, you know, and I was sitting down there uh, almost on the court watching him play. It's just his his movement. It, you know, it's just he's so slow. He's so so big and and stuff it's just it just looks like a like a giraffe on skates you know <laughs> it's it's it just his legs just go all over the place so but he he looks solid you know he was serving well playing well uh Corda probably should have won the turn won the match he just he i think he was the better player just couldn't close down on certain points and in, in the match itself so yeah well i just think too looking at the draw like to your point kyle like he's playing manorino Let's say he somehow gets through that match, which I think it, he's going to have to grind, and he's going to mm-hmm. he's going to grow a few a few gray hairs. I think during that match, playing Manorino in the heat just does not sound fun, especially for a guy who's not a good mover. If he gets through that match, he's more than likely going to play Diminor, um, who's another grinder, oh. a guy that frustrates you. I, I don't see John winning back to back matches against guys like that. Like he needed like a, I don't know. Somebody like a like a Karlovich or something, so, somebody were you know <laughs> where it's less physical. Somebody like that in the second round. So I love Isner. I wish him the best, but I don't see him getting through the second round. Looking at that draw, no, because Alex Dimenauer's his movement is so on point. And I mean, yeah. you know, Isner's not going to beat you with you know ground and pound games because that it's not him. But the problem is, even if you did, you know, you're not going to beat Alex. Uh, you know, Dimenauer on the court, you know, you're going to, he's going to outplay you and just outrun you. And it's ridiculous. Like, I don't know how that guy still stands. My, I think my knees and my, my legs would completely buckle after the position <laughs> and how much he slides on the court. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I couldn't imagine how many shoes he goes through in a matter of a tournament. <clears throat> yeah. All right. Well, We'll finish up today is, you know, on, on some, on some, uh, today's podcast on, on some of the today's matches, you know, what do we think the winners are going to be, you know, any sports betters out there, you know, maybe we'll try to go for tomorrow's matches, you know, let's see what tomorrow holds for the men's tournament. We've got Kudla. I think he's got that one pretty easy. You know, he's got Novak, uh, hatching off. Here, uh, Dimitrov won't play till Wednesday. Does he play? Well, he, he won his first round, he did. I saw yeah. really. I mean, I don't really see any a whole lot. I mean, you saw Mulkin beat uh, Favrinka in the first in the first round. So, Felix, I think, has got that one pretty, pretty handily. You know, I think it's going to go probably three sets and call it a day. Uh, mm-hmm. I could see that Gasquet and uh, Umber. I could see that probably going four or five. Mm-hmm. How awesome was that though that he won a, a title uh, last week? That was I mean, cool. 
Jeff that was, Gay? Yeah. Yeah. He won like uh was it Auckland number two? Yeah, it was Auckland. They did like a I'm not sure what the tribe is there. It's not Polynesian, but it was like a local indigenous tribe did one of those dances that like Polynesians do with it's like all the grunts and the stances and stuff. Yeah. But it was local to like that community and it was kind of like a ceremonial dance to go along with the title ceremony or the trophy ceremony. It was really cool. I thought and plus he's he's been out there. He's almost 40 at this point. So seeing him win a title, the first title in five years, I think. Um, that was impressive. And he beat Cam Nori. Yeah. Guy that's kind of a I'd say a you know a dark horse at the tournament. So that's yeah, I was impressed. Yeah. Cam Nori's a player you gotta watch out for. He's very tricky, very you know, just throws in a lot of just he'll he'll throw drop shots in there and you just don't see see it coming. Yeah. You know, he's very tricky and very tough player to play. Mm-hmm. And then you've got B Holt, you know, tonight. I, th- I think he'll he should take that one against the the the, the native uh, Vukic. I think. Really, I think that's about all the all the tournaments. You know, that's going to be really worth anything. Uh, JJ Wolf looks like it's going to be tough. It's the games looks like the match is suspended. I guess due to rain. Hmm. I have no. I'm not sure. I'll get I'll get back with everybody on the weather there. Not that anybody cares. <laughs> Keep an eye on that radar. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming our way. Radar. <laughs> and then I would say the biggest one is that you know really kind of like a, a betting wise to really p- pick is you know you've got Tanasi Kokonakis, you know the hometown boy, and Fabio Fonini. You know does he even still have it? Have what it takes to. Uh, to play it at this level anymore. I mean, I don't think he's really had a whole lot of outcomes lately since he won. What was it? Rome 2020 20 or 2019. I think he won Monte Carlo. That's it. It was Monte Carlo. Yeah. Yeah. Say yeah. Honestly. Yeah. He, he really hasn't done a whole lot since then that to your point, that's a very interesting match. And I, I'm just hoping that it's a five setter. I'm hoping it gets personal because both those guys are like hotheads. I hope they're throwing rackets. I hope the crowd gets involved like that. That that matchup right there is just like literally like if that match was in like Cincinnati, I would round you guys up that we need to go immediately. Absolutely. You know, beers on beers and just like I'm just hoping that that match lives up to like. The, the the dramatics that it could potentially have. We would do a bruise and backhands on site. Yes. Yes. Live oh. commentate. Yes. Like I want to take I want to take all tennis out of that match and just <laughs> just have it all soap opera. I'm just I'm hoping that it 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 delivers. So every better's nightmare right on that one. So <laughs> on that one, guys, I don't know who who could possibly win it. You know, that's a that's a flip of a coin. For sure. You know, I think it's it's apples to apples. You know, I, I think honestly, based on you know how how Kokonakis has been playing, you know he's slowly getting back into the rhythm of things. You know, he he loses some matches and wins some. I think he'll. I think he can take Bonini. You know, I don't. I think Bonini's kind of lost his step and his edge. Um, but again, you know, Bonini is is definitely a tricky player. You know, yep. that he could he could come out and and come playing. But yeah, you know, I think Kokonakis has definitely got that one wrapped up. 
Mm-hmm. I would agree. All right, everybody. I think that wraps up today's today's podcast here. You know, thank you all for listening. Uh, Pat, why don't you kick us off with uh, with today's unofficial sponsor? <laughs> so today's unofficial sponsor is brought to you by um, Little Miami Brewing. Um, so they're out of Milford, Ohio. So about they're they're about a half hour outside of Cincinnati. So if you ever if you ever can go, it's 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 a great spot right off the Little Miami River. If you're kayaking person but they had a phenomenal brews their brewery food like there's brewery food and then there's little miami food that gets they they set it up with that so i just want to thank them so much for sponsoring um they made this podcast possible this evening so we definitely (laughs) owe them our gratitude (laughs) all right everybody well thank you for listening again uh we'll tune in uh sometime next week for episode two uh, so be prepared. We'll talk. We have a lot to talk about by the, for the next episode. Um, so everybody be ready. You know, we've got a lot of, lot to discuss. So everybody, y'all have a wonderful night. Same All to right. you, bros. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Take it easy.